We're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning. Exodus will be in chapter number 14 to start, but we're going to be turning all over the place. Uh, I see a lot of different faces, new faces out there. Thank you so much for choosing to be with us this morning. I hope the service is a blessing to you. Uh, We want to welcome you to our family. Bible Baptist Church is a very friendly place. Uh, I think you'll feel the love of God through our members and even through people that aren't members that attend church here. And I hope you'll feel welcome. You're our honored guest this morning. Uh, And if we can do anything for you while you're here, please let us know. Uh, It is great to have you at Bible this morning. Exodus chapter number 14. How many of you have kids, even if they're 20s, 30s? How many of you have kids in here this morning? Okay, almost everybody. I can promise you, if you have kids, if you raise kids, uh, if you've been around kids for any amount of time, if you teach kids, uh, if you saw a kid at the grocery store, you'll realize there's one thing that all kids do, and they whine. There's anything that gets on my nerves more, it's when Landon starts to whine. And that's like his initial reaction when he wants something. It's not like he's asked a million times. He'll walk up to me and go, I want goldfish! I take a deep breath. Were you asking or were you stating? That's good, I'm glad you want goldfish. And then he knows to go, Daddy, may I have a bowl of goldfish, please? Hey, yes, I would be happy to get you a bowl of goldfish. I'll get one for myself as well. I would be happy to get you goldfish, but please don't whine. It doesn't work. It doesn't do any good. He could whine until he is blue in the face, and I'm not going to change my mind if I told him something. Why? Because it gets on my nerves more than anything if he thinks it helps. I get that from my mom. I come by it honestly. Uh, She's been the... I call her the youth pastor. She doesn't like that title. She teaches the youth at the church that I grew up in. She was my youth pastor growing up. She still plans most of their activities. Uh, She went on a camping trip this last weekend with the teenagers, hiked around a lake, and then camped out that night, cooked dinner and breakfast for them over the wood stove. My mom is awesome. Uh, But there's one thing that she can't stand, and it's whining. She cannot stand whining. And she makes every Wednesday night for her class she makes a dessert, some kind of dessert. And one week she made Rice Krispie treats. And the rule is one per person, because otherwise if people went up and got six, then there wouldn't be enough for everybody. And there were these two teenage girls, probably 16, 17. I was 19 at the time, and they walked up to my mom after church, and she had a couple left over. And if she had ones left over after I was out of the youth group, she would bring them home and I would get to eat them. Uh, So I'm glad my mom's like this. Uh, They went to her and go, Mrs. Bishop, we really want another one. She's like, no. She goes, but we really need another Rice Krispie treat. And they started whining, and I just stood there and shook my head. I said, listen, you're whining to the wrong person. If you think Miss Bishop is going to give you what you want because you whine, that's not going to happen. That might work on your mom. It might work on your dad. It might work on grandparents. If Landon whines to his Mimi, who's here today, Guess what? She's going to give him what she wants. That's a Mimi's job to do, to give him what he wants. As a parent, it doesn't work on me. And I looked at them. I said, you're whining to the wrong person. My mom, when you whine, is even more set that she is not going to give you what you want because you're whining. But we look at kids, and it gets on my nerves when Landon whines. But don't we tend as Christians to whine a little bit in our lives? You know the book of Exodus. As I was preparing for this sermon this week, I was reading through the book of Exodus. And what is is the Exodus from? It's the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Yes, uh, they were in the land of Egypt. They're in bondage. Uh, They are in immense bondage. They're being persecuted. They're being whipped. They have no say over what they do. Uh, They are being told what to do by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. 
And it's a terrible circumstance to live in, slavery. And God delivers them from that. God sends plagues. Now, can you imagine being in Egypt? Just imagine with me for a moment, being in Egypt among all these plagues and not going, wow, God is awesome. God said he's going to send frogs, here come frogs. God said he's going to send locusts, here come locusts. God said he was going to kill the firstborn of every child unless they had blood painted on their doorposts, and God did that. that is, that's just amazing. And then Pharaoh's heart was softened, and he lets the children of Israel go. Uh, you know, if God worked like that in my life, I would hope I'd be going, wow, God is awesome. Look what he has done for me. Look what he has gone, the great lengths he has gone through to free us from the bondage of the Egyptians. Yet here we are. In Exodus chapter 14, I'm in Genesis, that's why it doesn't look right. Exodus chapter 14, <clears throat> and verse number 1. So they've been freed from Egypt. They've seen all the plagues, they've seen God work, they've seen God deliver them, hear their prayers and deliver them from the bondage of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the, to the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Vihirath, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. So what's happened? They've come out of Egypt, a little bit of background, they've come out of Egypt. They are at the edge of the Red Sea. The Red Sea's in front of them. God tells them to camp there. Keep on reading with me. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, and the wilderness hath shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. We come back tonight, we're going to talk at the title of the message tonight's a Red Sea decision. We all had Red Sea moments that we come to in our life where it feels like we are stuck. Can I promise you that God knows exactly what you're going through? Nothing's caught him off guard. He knew that Pharaoh's heart was going to be hardened, that Pharaoh was going to come after the children of Israel, but here are the children of Israel, and they don't know that. They're just at the Red Sea. They know that they're stuck. There's no way forward. Verse 5, and it, told the, it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh of, and of his servants was turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over against every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with an high hand, but the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camping by the sea beside uh, Pihirath before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said, Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is it not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness." And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. 
For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. I'm going to bring you a title this morning. Stop whining. Stop whining. The children of Israel here are whining. We're going to look at this subject this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and we'll start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. For this day, I thank you for the people here in this room. Those that are, this is their first time with us today. Those who have been coming for years, members, non-members. I thank you for every single one of them. Uh, and Lord, I know that they are here for a reason today. They're not here by accident. And I pray that this morning you would open my heart, speak to my heart, that you would speak, use me, speak through me, hide me behind the cross. May the Holy Spirit have free reign. May our hearts be ready and acceptive to what you have for us today as we look at this subject. We thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My mom would look at me when I would start whining. She'd go, Daniel, stop whining and ask a question. You know that little whiny voice. Well, why? Why can't we go? Why can't I do this? Why? We've got to stop whining. And here are the children of Israel. They've been rescued from Egypt. God has given them a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. And yet here they are at the Red Sea, and they see Pharaoh's army. And their first thought isn't, God's done so much for us. I'm sure he's going to protect us now. What do they say instead? Were there no graves in Egypt? Moses, you brought us out here so that we would die. It would have been better if we were still in bondage and alive than to come out here and to just die. Their first thought wasn't, oh, God's going to protect us. God's going to, to somehow deliver us. I don't know how it's going to happen. And it's easy to point fingers at the children of Israel and go, how dare they? Because we know the end of the story. But what happens to us? And we won't go too much into this because we're going to talk about it tonight. But when we're at that Red Sea and we see Pharaoh's army behind us and we can't go forward, we can't go backwards, and the whole world's falling apart around us, instead of going, God's provided for me over and over and over again and worked in my life and, and protected me, he's going to do it again. I know he is. Instead of taking peace in that, we go, God, why are you letting this happen to me? What have I done? It would have been better if nothing had ever happened if I wasn't even here. Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And we complain. We start to whine to God. Oh, woe is me. We get the Eeyore effect. Woe is me. Everything's going wrong. Everything's terrible. Uh, it would be better if, if we had just died in Egypt. Complaining. Whining. Yet you look in chapter 15, and what happens? You read through chapter 14, chapter 15, God delivers them. Moses lifts up his hand over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. The ground is dry. I don't know if you've ever walked through a, a creek bed before. When you put your foot down in there, it is not dry. It's like mud. It like sucks your feet in. When you try to pick your feet up, it, it's hard. The ground was completely dry. And the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Can you imagine just walking through the Red Sea? Uh, I let my imagination run wild sometimes. Um, and some people will tell you that it was the Reed Sea and they were just in ankle-deep water. You can believe that if you want to. It's amazing that God drowned the whole Pharaoh's army in ankle-deep water then. But if you want to believe that, either way, God is still awesome and amazing uh, if he could drown the whole army, Pharaoh's army, in the Reed Sea in ankle-deep water. So, God, you're not going to take away the power of my God. He's still great, okay? Uh, but I believe it was the Red Sea from history. We can argue about that later. We can disagree and I'll still be friends with you. All right? It doesn't matter. That's, not, that's the least of our worries. But I picture it being the Red Sea, water being up on either side and just staring. I would stop and I would look. I'm an explorer. You know the first thing I would do when I got down in there with walls of water on either side of me? I'd be over there touching it. 
can I put my hand in here? There's a fish. I wonder if I can reach in there and grab the fish. That would be the first thing I would do. That's who I am. If I go into a church I've never been to before, uh, it's a bishop problem we like to explore. I'll go around. I'll look around the church. Somebody say, can I help you? go, no, I'm okay. Thank you. I like to look. Uh, when I go to a hospital, uh, Holston Valley Medical Center, I've explored every hallway. Hallways that say staff only, uh, I'll just I'll walk down and go, what's down here? I want to know why I can't go down there. I wanna, I'm curious. My dad always said, if you walk with purpose and act like you know what you're doing, nobody will question you. And it usually works. I just walk like I know what I'm doing. I go, hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? Hello, doctor. Good to see you today. Uh, and I just keep walking and people don't question. But that would be me. Can you imagine walking through the Red Sea and here's all these fish. <coughs> the ground is dry. I'd be digging at the ground going, how is this ground dry? It's an amazing miracle what God did. So surely, surely anything that happens in the children of Israel's life now, they're just going to go, you know what? My God is good and he's going to provide for me. That's what you would think. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. So they've come across the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is drowned. God's protected them again. And they come to the place of Marah. So Moses, chapter 15, verse 22, brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to, and they went to Marah, they could not drink for the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? This water's bitter. What are we supposed to drink? It's been three days, Moses. I know we were just at the Red Sea with all the water surrounding us and God provided, but we're thirsty. If your kid ever said, I'm dying of thirst, I'm going to die if I don't have a drink of water right now. Usually it's at bedtime. All of a sudden, they become a camel and they want all this water and they're hungry. The dinner they didn't eat, all of a sudden it's bedtime. Now it's time to eat. Now it's time to drink. Uh, but here's the children of Israel go, this water is bitter. What are we supposed to drink? And Moses, verse 25, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance. And there he proved them and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought unto the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. Notice that you'll see that over and over again in the Bible. I am the Lord, which healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees and they encamp there by the waters. God, he throws that tree in the water. God makes the water so they can drink. And then they come and they have all the wells of water. And now all of a sudden they've got food. So they should be good, right? All right, now they've seen God deliver them from Egypt. God has delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. God's made the bitter waters sweet so they could drink them. So they should be good now, right? Exodus chapter 16, they don't make it very far. Verse 1. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured, you see that word again, murmured? 
I can see all the people going, hey, we're hungry. They murmured again. Murmuring. God doesn't like murmuring. They murmured. I lost my place. Verse uh, 2. And the mur- children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. <laughs> Can you get emotional about food? I've seen some people that they take their food seriously. They get emotional about it. They cook something and they get tears in their eyes because of how beautiful it is. When I make something, it doesn't usually look beautiful. It looks like, oh, I think that's edible. That should be okay. We'll try it. It looks a little funky, but we're going to, anyways. But they're, they go, oh, well, the bread that we had. Oh, would to God we had died. We had bread to the full, for we have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They were dying of hunger now. All of a sudden, they're dying of thirst. God gives them water. Now they're dying of hunger. You would think they would have gotten the point by now to ask God first. Because who have they been murmuring against? Who, but who is it directed towards? If you look at the last one, where does it say? They murmured to Moses. So the first place they went wasn't to the person who could take care of the issue. It was to Moses. They should, their first thing should have been to go to God. And we look at them and shake our heads and go, those silly children of Israel. No faith. They should have gone to God and prayed. But what happens when we have issues in our life? When we have a trial that comes? Who's the first person we go to? Is it to God? A lot of times it's to somebody else going, can you believe this is happening to me? I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what, how, what's going to happen. And go, did you pray about it? That's my first question. Did you pray about it? Well, no, not yet. When did you find out? Two weeks ago. You, it's been two weeks and you haven't prayed about this? You've been stewing over it, but you haven't prayed to see how God's going to work through this? And here's the children of Israel. They're murmuring. They're saying, we're dying of hunger. What's going to happen? I am glad that God is not like me. You should be glad I'm not God. You should be very glad I'm not God. Because at this point, I would look at the children of Israel and go, you haven't learned by now. I'm not going to give you anything until you decide to ask for it, until you stop your whining, until you ask me. And I would have just sat there and waited. What normally happens? Landon, when he first started whining, he would start whining more and more and more until I'd say, hey, stop whining. Dry the tears. It's goldfish. You just ate dinner an hour ago. I know you're not starving to death. Stop crying and ask me for it. But what does God do? God gives them water, or God gives them food. Verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will take in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. This isn't in the Bible. I like to use my imagination. I think that the bread that God sent down from heaven was Krispy Kreme donuts. You can disagree with me if you want. That's okay. But I think it was Krispy Kreme donuts, and it was the raspberry-filled Krispy Kreme donuts, okay? Uh, But God's sending bread from heaven. How amazing is that? How many of you on your way home are going to stop on the side of the road and just look up and hold out your hands and hope a loaf of bread falls in your arms? If you do that, I will laugh and video you on the way home uploaded to YouTube and become a millionaire off of it. Because you would look ridiculous. Bread doesn't fall from heaven. 
But God provided for them and sent bread from heaven and then gave them rules, said, hey, I want you to gather every day what you need. Why? He wants to test their faith. Do they believe that God's going to provide for them the next day and the next day? God didn't give them enough for a whole week. He sent it every day. He goes, then on the sixth day, I want you to get enough bread for that day and the next day because what's that next day? The Sabbath. And I want them to rest. But if you read through this chapter and we don't have time this morning, did they rest? No, they went again and did it again and worked on the Sabbath. And God uh, chides them and gets after them for that. So God's provided them food now. They were dying of hunger. God provided them food. Let's see how far they make it. Do you think they'll make it a whole chapter? No, go to chapter 17 with me, verse number 1. They don't make it very far. And what strikes me as crazy about this, this is something they've already complained about. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin and their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Here we go again. What are they going to do? Hey, God, remember how we had no water before and it was bitter and you made the water? Can you do something like that again, please? That would be great. Verse 2. Wherefore the people did chide with God. Is that what that next word is? No, Moses, if you have people, if you're in a leadership position at a job, do you have people that chide with you? What does chide mean? Scold, rebuke? They don't like something? Hey, they have to work a holiday, and you're their manager. Did you make the rule they have to work the holiday? No, somebody above you made that rule. But what are they going to do? They're going to come complain to you when really they're complaining against somebody higher than you. They come and they chide with Moses. They scold, they rebuke him. Wherefore the people did try with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. But who could give them water? Not Moses. It was God. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured. They're murmuring people. They murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt? to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. Here we are again. We're thirsty. We're dying of thirst. How could you bring us here, Moses, and let us die of thirst? Are they getting on your nerves yet? They were getting on my nerves as I was reading this. Look at verse number 7, though. I, I think this is interesting. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the children of because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? How could they ask that question after all God has done for them? Go, did God leave us out here? He brought us out here in the middle of the wilderness just to die. Is God even here with us? This is ridiculous. We're thirsty. Is God even here? You know, God promises us he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He doesn't promise that we're never going to have a hard time. He doesn't promise us that we'll never struggle, that we'll never have difficulties come in our life. But he does promise that through the difficulties that he will be with us. He doesn't promise us that we're not going to come to a situation that we can't handle. Because there's so much in my life that I can't handle, but with God's strength. On my own, in my own flesh, I can't do it. God will not tempt us above that we are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape. God will make a way to escape. With his strength, we can handle anything that comes our way. But we know, have to know that he's with us. How long do they make it? 
Well, they make it a couple chapters this time because it's going through the commandments of the Lord. Moses goes to get to the Ten Commandments. Turn to Exodus 32. And this is the last one we're going to look at. There are more. I just wanted you to see that the children of Israel had a problem. It's a murmuring problem. Murmur, 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 murmur. Say that word 30 times fast. That's what they did. Murmuring all day long. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 32. Moses has gone up into the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And the people are at the bottom of the mountain waiting for him. Verse number one, and when the people saw Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, now Moses is gone, so who do they go to? God, right? No, they go to Aaron. They go to second in command there. Uh, Aaron and said unto him, up, <coughs> excuse me, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we not, we what not, is become of him. We don't know what's happened to him. Moses isn't here, he must be dead. How many of you assume the worst when something happens? You know, before we had all these cell phone things, and you can track your kids now, and you can, I'm going to tell a story on Kelly, I'll probably get in trouble for this later on. We were dating, and I had an old flip phone, you know, the one where you had to push A three times if you wanted to use a C uh, when you were texting, and it just was a lot of work. And I had that flip phone. It was my first cell phone I'd ever gotten when I was 19 years old. Uh, before that, when I was in college, I used the calling card and the landline phone that we had in the dorm. So I had a cell phone, but I turned it off a lot of times. And I decided to go to the mall. It was around Christmas time, I believe. To go to the mall, I was buying Kelly a present anyways. I went to church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I went to college in Shelby, North Carolina, though it's about an hour and a half away. And... Um, Kelly tried calling me, and I didn't pick up. So Kelly's first thought was, oh, he must be at the mall buying me a present. Uh, no, that was not her first thought. She went, well, that's strange that Daniel ignored my call. Oh, it's probably okay. A couple hours later, no call from Daniel. My phone had died. I wasn't worried about charging it. It'll be okay. Anybody that needs to get in contact with me will be able to do it in a couple hours when I get back to the house and I can plug in my phone. A couple hours go by, and it was probably, what was it, eight hours before you heard from me? And I turn on my phone, and I've got voicemails from Kelly, from Kelly's mom, from Kelly's dad, from the dean of men at, a, at my college. I've got calls from my friends that live in Charlotte. I've got calls... And my phone rings as soon as I turn my phone on, and it's Kelly. And she goes, are you okay? I went, I'm fine. Well, what's going on? She goes, I thought you were dead. <laughs> she said, I've been sitting here calling every hospital within a two-hour radius of Charlotte, seeing if there was a car accident. Uh, I was just trying to find somebody. And, and what had happened? I had just turned off my phone. I had. But isn't that what our mind, our mind jumps to worst-case scenario? The other day I couldn't, I was uh, downstairs, Kelly had already gone to bed, and uh, all of a sudden I heard this horrendous beating on the ceiling. I was downstairs, and I ran upstairs, because my mind said this, Kelly has like gone into labor, something terrible is happening, and she's beating on the floor because she's in so much pain, she can't talk, and I've got to get up there right now. And I sprint up the stairs, and she goes, she wakes up and goes, what are you doing? I went, you weren't beating on the floor? She goes, no. 
So I run into Landon's room thinking something's happened to him. He's sound asleep. It must have been our neighbor uh, beating on the wall. And I went, you know what? My mind went to worst case scenario. And here's the children of Israel. They go, Moses has been gone for a while. We don't know what happened to him. He's probably dead. So we need to make a God because Moses was their God. I don't know. Uh, But we need to make a God that can lead us. So Aaron, will you make us a God? And if Aaron, what he should have done was say, no, you need to serve the one true God of Israel and worship him and him alone. But what did Aaron do? They built a calf. And Aaron said to them, we don't need a calf. Serve the true God of Israel. No, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them in their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And after he made it a molten calf. And they said, these are the gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, they were just delivered from Egypt. If you know anything about Egypt and their history and they serve many gods, right? Uh, These are the gods that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord God, verse 7, said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, and my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make thee of thee. A great nation. God said, listen, I've delivered them over and over and over again. They're a stiff-necked people. They never learn. That should not be how us as Christians today, but so many times it is us. And Moses besought the Lord, verse 11, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. So uh, God repents of it. Moses goes down in verse 15 and from the mount. He has the two tables of the testimony in his hand. Verse 15 says, (coughs) with the handwriting of the work of God. Verse 16. Verse 17 says, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Then as they got closer, they realized it's not a noise of war, but it's music. And they're dancing and they're worshiping around this calf. It's not the noise of war or being of overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear, verse 18 says. And it came to pass, verse 19, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. So God already knew. Now Moses is angry. He sees what they're doing, and he's angry. He's been gone just for a little while, and this happened. And he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strode it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou brought such so great a sin upon them? He thinks, surely, he like, they held them at knife point. They held Aaron at knife point, and uh, they made him make this calf. That has to be what happened. You know, because there's no way that he would do this otherwise. 
Keep on reading with me. And Aaron said, Let not the, Moses, Moses, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people. You know the Israelites. Uh, you know how they are. They are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it into the fire, and whoop, out came this calf. Have your kids told you a story and you just knew it wasn't true? I can picture being Moses right now, and I'd just be shaking my head and go, so let me get this straight. They asked you for a god. You took all their earrings. You took all their jewelry. You threw it into the fire, and out the other side jumped a golden calf. Was it dancing when it jumped out? Do you think I was born yesterday? But that's what he said. And over and over again, they whine. Were there no graves in Egypt? We're thirsty. We're dying of hunger. This water is bitter. Moses must be dead. But well, we need a God to direct us when all along they had a God that was with them every single step of the way. In every single situation, he provided for them. Later on, they'll complain about not having the leeks and garlics they had. Uh, you can read in the book of Numbers about different times that they complained. God is saying over and over again, stop whining, stop complaining, stop murmuring. Stop it. It's easy to do, though. I tell you, when we got the diagnosis uh, about baby Reagan and what was going to happen, uh, that day it, it crushed us. And it would be easy to start whining and going, God, why is this happening? Why are you letting this happen to us? But do you know... People have gone, you keep your composure so well. How do you do it? I, I have times that I break down. There are days that are harder than others. But can I promise you that I serve a God that in this situation that we are facing right now, that he's with us. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what day baby Reagan is going to be born on. He knows how long we're going to be able to hold her in our arms. He knows exactly what is going to happen to us. And it doesn't do me any good to complain. Complaining is not going to get me anywhere. Do I understand why? Do you understand why bad things happen to people? I look at people in the church and see difficult things you've gone through, and I go, why? Why is this happening to them? Why are they going through this? Do I understand? No. I don't always understand the why, but I know a God that can, if he wants to, show me the why. One day I might be able to see and go, this is why God allowed us to go through this trial. But, you know, I may never know the why until I get to heaven. But God desires for us to stop whining. I want you to turn back with me quickly. I'm going to show you three things, and then we'll be done this morning to Exodus 19. Three quick things, and then we'll finish up. Instead of whining, what should we do? Uh, I don't like to just be negative. I don't think we should be whining. I don't think we should be murmuring. It's not going to do any good. But let me tell you three things that we should be doing instead of whining, instead of murmuring, instead of complaining about what we're going through. Three things that God told the children of Israel that we should have in every single one of our lives. You're in Exodus chapter 19, verse number 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob. So this is God speaking. And tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, covenant, and ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests as a holy nation, 
These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Number one, he says, hey, number one, look at all that God has done. God says, I delivered you out of Egypt. I provided for you. I put you on eagle's wings and let you soar to freedom. I provided you water. Exodus 16, 12 says, Ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. He is the Lord our God all the time. Instead of complaining, what should we do? Instead of complaining, look at all that God has done for you. Sit down. When you're having a difficult day, difficult days are going to come. I understand that. You're going to have days where you're down. When you're down, instead of going and sitting in your room and doing a pity party, woe is me all day, stop and get a piece of paper. And write down all the blessings God has done for you. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. What will that do? I'll say, you know what? God is good. I don't understand why this is happening, but God is still good. Look at all that God has done in your life. So number one, we need to look at all that God has done. But number two, what does he say? Let's go back to that verse three. Or verse 4, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice. God wants us to listen to his voice. He wants us to obey him. We need to look at all that God has done and we need to listen to his voice. How do we do that? Keep his commandments. The children of Israel couldn't even do that. He said, hey, gather for six days on the seventh day rest. They didn't do that. Hey, we need to listen to God's voice. Obey Him. Do I know what God's plan is for me 10 years down the road? No, I don't. But I know what God's plan is for me today. And God's plan for me today is to be in church and to be in His Word and to pray and to seek His face every single day and to strive to live according to His Word. Am I going to be perfect in it? No. If there's a perfect person in here, I want to talk to you after church to see how you do it because I'm not a perfect person. But we should be striving every day to become more like Christ, listening to His voice keeping his commandments, doing what he wants us to do. People get so caught up if I don't know what God wants me to do. I talk to high schoolers. I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm facing college. I'm in college. I don't know what my major should be. What does God want me to do? I can't tell you what God wants you to do 15 years from now, what your major should be, but I can tell you what God wants you to do right now. And he wants you to tell others about him, and he wants you to be in church, and he wants you to be reading your Bible, and he wants you to be serving him. Number one, we need to look at all that God has done. Number two, we need to listen to his voice. But number three, and keep my covenant, that you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak until the children of Israel. God desires for us to live holy lives. We'll close with this. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and then we'll be finished this morning. I appreciate your attention. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. The Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We're called to be holy. We serve a holy God, and he desires for a holy people. But do we live holy lives? Are we living a holy life? 
You say, but Daniel, I don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the trials that I've had in my life. I'm glad you said that. Look at verse number seven in this chapter. Go back a couple verses from where we started. Right after he says you're called to a holy living, but 1 Peter 1, 7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We go through trials, it's supposed to make us better. It's supposed to draw us closer to him, not drive us away. I don't know what you've been through, but God still desires for us to live holy in the midst of trials. Verse number 9 Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Does that phrase sound familiar to you? Let me read it again. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's the exact same thing he told the children of Israel hey, I want you to be different. I want you to be peculiar. You shouldn't fit in with the world. People should look at you and see something different that's missing in their lives. I want you to be holy, set apart unto me. And can I promise you that if you go through trials when you, not if, because it's not if, it's when, when you go through trials, if you look at God and all that he has done for you, if you listen to his voice, and if you live a holy life, he will help you through it. Don't get into the children of Israel and start whining. Stop the whining. Live, look, and live a holy life, and God will direct you the rest of the way. The hymn writer said, Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth, fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth, deeper all the way. Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand. Never foe can follow, never traitor stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry. Touch the spirit there. Every joy or trial falleth from above. Traced upon our dial by the Son of love, we may trust him fully, all for us to do. They who trust him wholly find him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, Perfect peace and rest. 